0: To this day, and probably through the rest of my lifetime, and since humans have been walking the planet, it's humans engaging with humans. We're not yet to the point where your avatar and chatbot are engaging with my avatar and chatbot, right? We're not in the matrix yet. Yet. Uh, And that's the beauty of humanity, that's the beauty of sales and business, is that at the end of the day, it's still people engaging with people. And there's nothing less predictable than a human. (laughs) Yep. So the best we can do is try to apply a bit of a formula, a bit of science to the art of sales or the art of music. collaborating at all times with the universe. All right, let's just roll with it. Let's yeah, see what we'll, happens, we'll still, man. Yeah, we're going, uh, we're going Hollywood. Instead of going stereo, we're going mono. Do you remember, uh, you're probably too young to remember when boom boxes and stuff had the stereo or mono switch.
1: Yeah. And so what's funny is I remember that switch and I remember it sounding worse on mono and not understanding why. And so then, you know, we're talking – that uh, that's when I'm a kid when I remember like the little slider knobs that like right. switch it between the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember uh, – or recently I discovered that, that when you're mixing and mastering music, they actually – they tell you to mix in both modes so that you can make sure that in the mono area of things, they weren't mixing for for mono. Usually they were mixing for stereo. And so there's a lot of space in between there that gets lost if you don't. Have uh if you're not listening to the mix in that mode too. Yeah. And so they they found that like certain frequencies, it's better to put them in the middle so that they kind of like sweep outward. So like your bass tones and like the things that kind of <laughs> body the things I'll put there. And and then they won't be as prevalent in the stereo mix, but they are still in the stereo mix. So it's really weird how uh I've I've learned so much more about audio just from doing music. And then I've been able to cross-apply that to like video production and everything else I've taken beyond from music. You know, to photography and everything, and you know, did not expect that at all in the slightest. That was not something I saw coming. It just sort of is something I've You know how it is. Like you accrue knowledge just from like human experience and going out there and doing things.
0: That's how we accrue experience by doing, right? Yeah, exactly. certainly. Well so, said,
1: then Lawrence. I finally got you on the podcast. <laughs> you were in the office for a while, and then uh, and then you moved. So you're, I don't see you anywhere near as frequently.
0: As I'm used to. in. I'm out. Yeah, it's uh, I've been traveling a lot which is a blessing. Doing? What have you been doing? Name it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> You've been doing like seminars and stuff like that? Traveling? Yeah. Or? yeah. Traveling, going to client sites, um, doing speaking engagements, coaching sessions, uh, going out on sales meetings with companies that just need help in the field. So, so just audit all them? of it.
1: Do you like go along and mm-hmm. actually like help them nail the sale or do you go out there? Is that, that would be kind of difficult because I feel like you'd have to know like the ins and outs of whatever it is they're selling, but you know, that is what you do. So I guess that, that's not like an on, it's not a tall ask for you.
0: Well, for example, last week I went out with a sales rep who works for a technology <clears throat> company. He's responsible for all of their sales within certain industry verticals. Anyway, <laughs> he'd been, and, and here's the fascinating thing, Johnny, and <laughs> this is the, the world of sales. This young man, and I call him young because he's under 50, so he's younger than I, right? Uh, He'd been in this line of work driving sales for this company for the last 10 years. 10 years. And he's doing a pretty good job. Over that 10-year span, how many times has a professional coach gone out in the field with him to see how he actually engages with customers. Yeah, and audits like his sort of, you know,
1: what essentially is the customer's user experience with his company's sales.
0: Right, and how many times in the last decade do you think that's happened?
1: Oh, probably never. Exactly. You get hired for a position, they very seldom, and that's like, the consulting world is getting large because of that, right? Because you've got the ability to take on people that are, if you, you know, you see a lot of times people that come from like a Fortune 500 company higher up, they'll leave, and then that's what they start doing is just consulting. So like, why would I... I can make whatever I want to make and help you know hundreds of other companies every year instead of being in one location hitting a salary, only focusing on the same thing every day. You strike me as the kind of person who enjoys the the benefit that comes from things kind of coming at you at all angles and in different ways and having to sort of like <laughs> decipher what's gonna make that work. You got the energy for it at least, so I feel like that's what I observe about your your pattern or style of sort of sales.
0: You're it's, not it's, conventional I don't know if it's you've unconventional that. <laughs> uh I think we all enjoy variety, or many of us do. It's a spice of life. Um, But for me, it's variety within the confines of what I call the sales arena. Yeah, you got passionate about sales. Yeah, right. That's what I really enjoy is those go/no-go decisions that customers have to make, and the degree to which a salesperson can guide their customer to making the best decision for the customer. Right. And, but within just that little niche, right? Go, no go decisions that customers have to make and how we as salespeople guide them there, that little niche is infinite. Yeah. Because every human is different. Every selling scenario is different. Every offering, price point, product, value prop. Yeah. It's all so, it's an infinite yet tiny niche but one that is desperate to be optimized.
1: I feel like you subscribe to the notion that there is no one-size-fits-all philosophy when it comes to sales. Like we just had, I had a group of artists on recently and that was the thing that we talked about was, uh, and seeing these parallels is kind of the whole point of the podcast is to sort of like draw these lines between like you would never connect a sales guru to maybe like, bands and how they would choose to market or write their music or whatever and and so to see that there's like uh, a lot of artists are like hey i like the way he has voice sounds how do i make my effects chain sound just like that and people will be like oh, I'll just get this preset and you'll slap it on and that'll help you get there but that almost never works because there's so many variables so it's like what kind of cable are you using what's the microphone you're using did you eq things the right way did you compress or limit or do all these things in the mixing side of things that can kind of actually make something like that work in the first place so you see how this like lack of fundamentals in each niche little specific way can affect everything else down the line. Like your mm-hmm. end result is going to be different every time. So the fact that you kind of have addressed that, it's like, yeah, you, know, you there is no one size fits all approach to sales. You know, you really have to take in mind certain things, right? There's certain things that stay the same, right? they are like, uh, like through lines that will always be very mm-hmm. similar, mm-hmm. but the mode and the means of getting there it, is almost always going to be different because of all those other variables that are, involved. Gosh. Well, when you describe it that way, it, it makes it sound so hard. But that's what <laughs> makes you so good at it, I think, because you do take this like very unconventional approach like mm. like Heart of the Wolf is specifically tailored around like, you know, the upside down secret, it kind of implies that like you would not expect this to be the way that it is. And that already kind of invites the idea that yeah, like, because sales has been pushing a very conventional cookie cutter, templated kind of way and you put it out there and then what you lose in all the disconnect between reading between the lines and what actually is taking place along the way, it's like you're, you're not really getting the full picture in that thing. So you can't really ever apply all of that in the same way. So you having this unconventional approach is probably, I, I'm sure it is really difficult for some people. Like obviously it's difficult, right? If you're able to sell a book and reach, you know, the Amazon bestsellers and do everything you've been doing. It's like, there's probably a good reason for that because people are, like you said, they're looking for a way to get around like, okay, what we're doing is not working. So, but you know, very product or fact that, you know, 10 years into somebody's career, he finally is having somebody come in and audit his sort of like total sales experience that he's presenting to the customer is proof that people are looking for something different and, and, and not even just different, but they want, like the truth. They want like real clarity. And and the truth is the part that's hard about sales, I would say, because you, you think it's one thing and you kind of get emotionally invested in it sometimes, right? Like you're like, this is just the way I've been doing it. How many times you run into somebody who's like, I've been selling this for 10 years or 15 years. Like, I don't need this or that, or, you know, that can be, that can be the attitude. And sometimes if you're in a safe spot, you know, yeah, that works. Like you can keep doing that. But like you said, his, his sales weren't, they were they weren't it's not that they were bad they were they were fine they were great but you see this room for like not only like optimal efficiency and like max ability to sell more and growth but doing it in a sort of a a genuine and a heartfelt kind of way mm. that was one of the things i took out of your seminar that you did at the the hyatt back in january mm. It was like i'm i'm working and i'm running around but i'm also like observing and listening and i have a roommate who has an atm sales business and he sells, you know, ATMs to different businesses. And then he helps them with credit card processing, yada, yada, yada. And he was like, I'm just having a hard time selling stuff. And this is like right after I did your <laughs> seminar. So I was like, let me send you a Dropbox link. If you have like an hour and some change to sit down and watch this, I highly recommend it. And uh, and he didn't. And then lo and behold, four or five months later, he came back to me. He's like, hey, can you send me that video again? I want uh, You were saying that you did like a seminar or something. And so... Yeah, I mean, you're in this kind of inevitable path. You were, you are probably always going to end up in this position where you're able to sort of thrive and, and not rest on your own laurels, but you know, stand up for them and express them in a way that hopefully helps them catch on for people. Yeah. You're a very interesting character. I miss having you around the office. Your energy is like big and infectious. I, 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 can't, I couldn't get enough of it. And it's just good to see that you're, you know, taking a slice out of life for yourself and really kind of going for it. It's,
0: I'm really blessed to have um, the business opportunity that's there, the the professional relationships, uh, a family life that accommodates this, a wife who's very patient and supportive, kids that understand and are excited about what dad is doing, right? <laughs> like all those intangibles that come together and either make or break someone's success in the streets, right? Are we going to yeah. make it? And when we don't have that, support at home, or we don't have the right professional network, it's not that it's impossible, but boy, it's a lot more challenging. It gets a little bit steeper. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, you had mentioned, and I know this is your podcast, Johnny, but you had just mentioned (laughs) that you had spoken with some salespeople that are trying to figure out, or I'm sorry, with musicians who were trying to weave sales into their profession. Yeah, what, tell me, I'm just so curious to hear what are the challenges listen, that musicians face. Listen, you're going to mess around and end up being my
1: financial <laughs> advisor and consultant whenever it comes to how we go and, and do this because in the music industry there's all the platforms are constantly shifting. Like music itself as the genres are always shifting. Mm-hmm. But then you come into like how bands market themselves. So it's very interesting because it, that my exact first example of proof that you know there's no one size fits all philosophy for sales is completely just outlined and exposed when you look at the way musicians have to market themselves. So you go back to like the seventies and eighties where radio is really kind of the only way you're getting discovered or, or, you know, uh, shown to people. And back then it was, you know, the labels had the quick connections to a bunch of different radios. And so they would, you know, sign an artist and then they could put their singles on all these different radio stations and they'd spend some money doing it, but they were making money because the only way to get, you know, music, was to buy a record or buy a CD or buy, you know, a cassette through the seventies, eighties and nineties. And, uh, and so when that went away with the advent of like streaming in the, you know, the, that early two thousands digital era of like Napster and people sharing music, the, the next thing that kind of came along that shifted things in the music industry was something like Spotify or Apple music having like streaming online. So you didn't have to own the songs anymore. All you had to do was, uh, you know, Somebody has a catalog of sales, and if you're distributed to that catalog, people can listen to your music. Mm -hmm. So now it's like, how do I get there, yada, yada, yada. And so then all these different platforms start to come up underneath it to say, hey, you can distribute through us. We have the connection to get your music up there and like 30 different other places that people stream music. Because globally, there's a lot of different platforms. Mm -hmm. And so sales as an artist – especially if you're unsigned is super important because you need to, that's your revenue and the, the streaming royalties from a place like Spotify, it's like 0.0013 cents per single stream. So it takes thousands of streams to make, you know, 10, 20, $30, you know, and, and you don't get them every month. You get them like every three months and quarterly statements. So a lot of artists rely on merch. And so recently some of these platforms have figured out, look, merch is really important to these artists. We need to start having it so that people can purchase their, merchandise online. So there's uh direct shipping kind of companies that'll take a you know, you can upload a handful of like pre-scripted uh templates or whatever and and then sell them online. But then you gotta push that store. Let's. I gotta. I gotta get somebody to go someplace that they they don't want to go when they're listening to music. So how do I get them from the music place to this place? And so and you know sell them on this shirt. Well, one it comes down to like good apparel, good design, good you know quality fabrics, yada yada yada. But then you gotta figure out again that that gap to get people from Spotify to this platform Shopify to get them there well eventually shopify brokers a deal with, with spotify that you can get a little merch tab if you have so many thousand monthly listeners or whatever and then you can put your merch up there but shopify doesn't print merch they just they just ship it so you have to have an inventory it's it's a place that basically intake sales mm-hmm. but no distribution mm. so then some companies will do like distribution and that that side of things but they're really expensive that there's like a a barrier to entry and not a lot of artists can meet it because they're not making a lot of revenue off of the streams to cover that. And so we found uh, – I have a friend who locally is, by the grace of God, like he got, he's fascinated by this. So he, he started an apparel company and he's like, I don't print anything. He's like, I just market the designs that I come up with and then they sell online. People find my site or they right. go to any of the places that it's at. There's a funnel. So the sales funnel is like a huge, it's funny, sales funnel, the term did not exist in music easily five years ago, maybe probably not even three years ago. (laughs) And it is, everybody's like, you know, it's a sales funnel. And that kind of sucks the lifeblood out of music and art, I think. But it is this sort of necessary evil if you're an artist trying to sustain a career for yourself financially. So there's these like these hurdles you got to kind of tackle. And so, yeah, um, he was able to set us up with an account under his name. And run our merchandise through him, and now we have a merch tab on Spotify, and people can click and they can buy a shirt, or they can buy a T-shirt, or a hoodie, or a cup, or a sticker, or whatever they want that we can come up with from one of the companies that actually distributes. That we had to like link these three. It's like a tornado of companies we had to link together so that when somebody clicks here and they go to purchase it, it, the the money comes back to us. But it's it was not an easy process, and you know. That's just one of the things that bands have to deal with. And then when it comes to marketing, it's like, okay, how do we get people to want to buy our merch? Like, well, it better look cool and it better, you know, fit nice and it better be a nice material. And, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's a huge gambit to go through. So what were you curious about? What the sales, I was went on that whole tangent there. Like, what was <laughs> the, what's the
0: sales thing that you heard? Is that what I was talking about, right? Well, it's, it's so interesting. The reason I ask is, much like any other sales arena, when I think about musicians or artists, often it's, I'm going to create something beautiful and it will be so unique and special that people will just fall in love with what I've created and right. they'll buy it. If I build it, they will come. Right, right, right. right. And I, uh, I compare that to an interview that I heard recently with Kevin Hart, the comedian. Yeah. He's so, like a... Mogul, yes, and the way that he built his business was so unconventional for an artist, but brilliant in his approach. And it's a way that, my goodness, if all of us in sales followed his model over the course of our careers, we'd retire in half the time with 10 times more money. (laughs) But do you know what he did? I don't know what you've I don't know
1: the top down, I just know that he has he's very vested in he's got his hands on a lot of different pots. I see him as an executive producer on some shows that I watch, which is like another good angle where like, yeah, I'll invest in this to get a return on the streaming down the line. Mm-hmm. He just diversified,
0: I feel like. He diversified, but here's what Kevin Hart did Brilliant. originally. And this is something I think every artist, every sales professional can appreciate, is when Kevin went and did a show, a comedy show, he'd walk into a club. Do, next to his, next on the stage, he would have a little book and he would ask anybody who attended the show that night that enjoyed the show to please just share their email address yeah he email list gathered he email list gathered from day 1 yeah and he's been doing it ever since and he has constantly maintained a direct line of communication first through newsletters then email then he got their phone numbers, and he started to text and tweet. But over time, that list has grown to millions and millions of people that have a direct connection to Kevin. So Kevin Hart understood that the customer wasn't only the comedy club that booked him or the television network that hired him to do a special. It was the end user. Yeah, the people that are enjoying the experience. And now when he's hired on, part of the reason he's often selected, according to the interview I heard, is because these media executives know that if Kevin's in their program, he's gonna promote it through his own direct channels and they're gonna get way more engagement as a result of Kevin's network than they're going to get through their own network of customers. Yeah. So my question to you as a mu- as, as a musician and every other salesperson that's at working trade shows or they're on stage in their own way. Yeah. Uh where's your email list?
1: Yeah, right. And and for some reason it is like a part of the echelon of important things that all artists should have. They're like they, a lot of people recommend it because it does give you that direct access mm-hmm. to that person. The the other problem I guess is Unlike in those situations, this is one of the things that would make this, I would say, maybe slightly different is that we're also reliant on the content that we create being surrounded around like our brand and our identity. And then we have to have it not just the email list would be one angle of something we should definitely also always have. Like that is true. But then there's also this social media side of things. And that's where I feel like a lot of companies come from the email side first. And then social media is just like foreign territory to them. They just, it's, it's like, dystopia in their brain when it comes to figuring out how they're going to like attack their social media and most of them have no clue. So they're relying on creatives to help them figure out how to fit their brand into this visual space of, you know, Instagram and TikTok and, Mm -hmm. and everything. So yeah, we have no email list. And, uh, other than I would say on YouTube, when we have subscribers, you, you've got access to their YouTube where people are spending time on their phones and you're catching them in a different way. It's not the same as maybe emailing somebody. So it's a, it's just a different avenue But in the perfect world, I would think you would say, yeah, the email list also plus that, plus all the other angles of everything else you have to have. And that's the plight of the artist is figuring out, like, when you don't have a lot of resources, how do you make sure you cover all your bases? I think what what Kevin did that was smart is that he started at day one and he just let it accrue. If you can figure out a way to index that or even create an app for artists to index that, there's probably money to be made in that where artists could, you know, at their merch table, if you like the show and you're picking up a shirt – Feel free to enter here. We, you know, if you enter your email, they'll do like the, the gimme's to get you to sign up with your email where it's like, yeah, we'll take uh, 10% off your order. It's 5 bucks off whatever T-shirt you want if you sign up with your email. And then you have direct access to it. I guess the artists are by nature usually neurotic, and so they're afraid that they're going to be bothering people. A lot of artists have imposter syndrome. Yes. So their, their big hurdle is – We all do. Yeah, sure. for sure. And, and so when you feel like, ah, uh, why would they ever want to, ah, uh, they wouldn't want to get an email from me. I think that's, it's like an emotional hurdle that they have and not like a a business minded, smart thinking, uh, directive that they know they should follow. So it's funny if you, if you think of it like the way you described that, I'm like, I am an idiot for not having an email list. But when I think about it from my end, I'm like, yeah, I'm not bothering a lot of people. And it's like, yeah, you got to bother these people with your art because if they've given it to you, they've shown you that they're, they, they like what you do. And if you could have faith in what, what they like and that they have, you know, good taste and to some degree they might find you to be a tastemaker, maybe you should collect their email and stay in touch with them. So, okay, you've convinced me. Today is the day, June 20th, 2023. <laughs> I'm going to start an email list for a lot of my projects.
0: If there's one takeaway, Johnny, that I hope your listeners have for this entire episode it's that they find the courage to ask Yeah. Ask for their contact information. Ask for their permission to stay in touch. Yeah. I am sure that every time Kevin Hart got up on that stage as a rookie comedian, where half the people weren't even listening to him and he might not have even gotten any laughs, but to have the courage to just say, folks, thanks for coming out. I would love to stay in touch with you. I'd be honored if you shared your email address so that I can keep you updated on things moving forward. That takes guts. I know it's easy to sit here and say, oh, right, we'll just start an email list. It's, there is so much courage that's baked into that ask. Yeah. But you have earned the right to do it. And every other artist that's ever had the courage to get up on stage or publish something online or paint a picture and put it in a show, or you have the courage. That took a lot more courage than the courage it takes to ask. But it's just a different type of courage to make the ask.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like, uh, actually, to a Rick Rubin quote, uh, a lot of artists suffer from that, I don't feel like I'm successful mm-hmm. kind of mentality. And so, when you feel like that, you feel that can actually inhibit things down the line, like and create some sort of like executive dysfunction when it comes to actually making decisions or executing on anything in the first place. And so, uh, there's this Rick Rubin quote. I'm totally butchering it, but the, the to paraphrase, it's the second you release your art, you're you are a success. Like that, you've done the thing when you've put it out there. That is the success. Everything else is tertiary. That's what comes after but the success is getting your art completed to your satisfaction, battling your imposter syndrome and all the other hurdles you have and then actually releasing it and getting it out there. And so that I'm in this very like perspective-based era of my life where when I can hear a unique perspective that I'm not against challenging my own beliefs, I guess, and I think that that's like a fundamentally important aspect to maintain as an individual regardless of sales or music or whatever you're in. And by doing that, it's a, it's been helping me sort of absorb this a little bit more. And so that's you know the side benefit to having this podcast is I'm I'm having a lot of people that are really talented come in and share like their lived experience and there's you know when somebody explains it to you in a way where they're emphatic and genuine about it you're like oh okay all right no he's right like I feel (laughs) that he's right and uh, I don't know it's it's just one of those things where like I, I I feel like. Artists don't get a fair shake because they're they're not the business minded individuals they need to be, and so that's the the curve we're going through. But as we get there, and more and more, so you start to see it manifest in the music industry where you start seeing artists that are like indie or uh, unsigned artists that are getting like Grammys because they have they, they're building these followings. And so for us, it's about engaging with your audience, and you know what you're describing is that Kevin engaged with his audience. His audience wasn't the people that were in the club that night. His audience were the people that liked him so much. His real his core audience becomes the people that were so you know infatuated with this performance or enjoyed his set or you know enjoy the show he watched or whatever that they went and they went up that book and wrote their email down and were like, yeah, like I'm I'm a fan, like I am your audience. I, you what you're doing, I'm I'm interested in. And then he created a direct line to be able to stay in touch with him.
0: There's a little adage in the business world that I often challenge my own clients to consider, and it's that. of your followers or 10% of your customers want to pay you 10 times more.
1: (laughs) You say that to me and I, I, I'm not laughing because it's absurd, but I'm like, if it's true, I'm going to be pissed.
0: (laughs) It's absolutely true. 10% of that audience that went and saw Kevin Hart, 10% of the people who buy my book, 10% of the people who watch your videos on YouTube they want to engage with you and spend ten times more with you than they are today. Yeah. The question is, what are we offering them?
1: Yeah, and they and it's the value proposition that you have to sort of offer as an artist, I think, is your art. And we, as artists, feel and not because we're we're right or wrong, but we just are inclined to feel like that should be enough. Like that's your, if you knew how much blood, sweat, and tears went into this, a, out of a group of maybe five musicians in a band together, if you're a solo artist, it's all on you. So you have to build a team around you. You actually have to have, have like infrastructure in place, like a team of people to to help you sort of coalesce to the next level. Because at some point, bandwidth becomes an issue. Like you bottleneck, you're like, I, I have so much to do and I can only get this so much done through this little ring here. How do I grow? And it's like, well, then you got you have to start seeing who in your, it's almost like for us, we have to look in our audience and see who wants to be a part of it. Who wants to get on the ship for a little while? Like, let's uh, figure out how we can get to where we're trying to go. And uh, with a company, you have that kind of infrastructure in place. So sales is different in that arena because usually it's not you know that guy you went out with was he the head of sales?
0: Head of sales.
1: And so he's training people underneath him. I'm assuming he's got like a small staff of people underneath him that are people that report to him with leads and things that he's working on or they're working on to you know generate for the company. Mass. In a band, it's like you have to have all five people doing that, but you know the drummer's girlfriend has got a little bit of a temper. So you don't know, I don't I, you know. Yeah, like there's always this season, so many different nuanced problems that are dealing. It's like not, it's the wild west in the music industry when it comes to sales and marketing. But I don't know where I was going with that. I well, lost
0: it. Let me, uh, there's safety in numbers. It's the yeah. wild west everywhere, Johnny. <laughs> I just talked to a guy who sells copiers for a living. It's the wild west. I just worked with a disruptive uh, investment banking company. It's the wild, it's always the Wild West. Why is that? Why do you think that is? Because it does feel like that.
1: And I'm sure everybody feels like that in their particular industry, right? You're like, ha, anything goes out here. You're like, Mm -hmm. huh. Mm-hmm. What is it? What is it about each industry that kind of does that? I guess because I, I, I do feel like that's commonplace. Everybody feels like that. That guy who's selling copiers feels like he's in a competitive wild west market. <laughs> I'm thinking like, who's copying anything? Like we all have cell phones in our hands and we can, you know. But there's still that audience of people.
0: It to this day, and probably through the rest of my lifetime, and since humans have been walking the planet. It's humans engaging with humans. We're not yet to the point where your avatar and chatbot are engaging with my avatar and chatbot, right? We're not in the matrix yet. Yet. Uh, And that's the beauty of humanity. That's the beauty of sales and business is that at the end of the day, it's still people engaging with people. And there's nothing less predictable than a human. (laughs) right? Yep. So the best we can do is try to apply a bit of a formula, a bit of science to the art of sales or the art of music. I love that you just called it the art of sales, because
1: when I watch what you do, when you're speaking at seminars, or i we I you know, I, I I shot videos for the the book to release mm-hmm. and just sort of observing you over the last few, it's been a few years, which is actually kind of yeah. wild to think about. That is definitely something that I look at you and I see. It is an art. I think there's an art to a lot of different things, but there's to see you. I see you as a sales artist, and so that's very different than what you think of when you see the guy who knocks on your door and is trying to sell vacuum cleaners, like that you know uh, nostalgic evergreen image that we have from like the '60s and '70s for some reason. Uh, what do you think it is about your philosophy and approach to sales that sort of separates you from the crowd? Because it's not like you're you 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 probably touch on a lot of common ground that other salespeople are familiar with, right? But there's something about the means and the way you go about integrating it to them. So it has to come from like a your philosophical standpoint on sales as like a as an art. So like what is it about your your version of that art that differentiates you from the people that are, you know you know, door to door. I, at one point I was so broke. I was doing Cutco, vector marketing. I was doing knife sales. Fantastic. I'm so glad I got the experience. (laughs) What a joke (laughs) in hindsight, but you know, experience, you learn from it. Right. So, and it was a very brief stint. So it's not like I was in it for 10 years or anything selling Tupperware or anything like that, but that there's something different about your approach. And I guess I kind of like to hear you distill it because I feel like that's an avenue that a lot of people don't think that they need to change about, you know themselves either internally, whether it's a company or as a as a person.
0: Well, you're kind. Thank you. <laughs> there are a lot of people that I have just been really fortunate to have in my life that have served as guides for me. In, in fact, Greg Woodman, who I believe has been on just had our podcast last week. Yeah. Okay. So guys like Greg Woodman or my own dad, my parents, uh John Rogers. Uh, from the Dale Carnegie organization, even the Dale Carnegie Books, Dan Miller, Don Miller, there are all of these thought leaders. Some that I've known personally, others I've never met or talked to, or might even be dead, but I've read their books. So it's if if anything, I what I find with people who have been successful in any asset of life or facet of life is that they have been good and inquisitive listeners. When someone comes along that you think might have an approach that you would like to have yourself or that you want to embody. It's just taking a moment to step back and say, okay, I'm going to learn everything I can from this person, which is to your credit, that's what this podcast is, at least in part. It's an opportunity for Johnny to engage with thought leaders and absorb. Yeah. And to whatever extent I've been able to do that, sometimes by intent, sometimes by luck, I've, there's a lot of people in my life that have been able to guide me. And I was probably, um, insecure enough in my own abilities that I was desperate to learn and listen. <laughs> it starts from somewhere, right? You're right. I, I didn't have the confidence that I already had it figured out. I still don't.
1: Yes. Isn't that the bitch of it? Like, right. I feel like you, when you feel like you're like, you're obviously super successful. You've managed like Multi-million dollar deals from several companies, like that's it's like old hat to you. And you can still look at yourself and be like, mm, I don't know I've got it down <laughs> yet. It's like at what point do we feel like we figured something out? Yeah. Uh and I would imagine it would come down to the, the point where you write a book about it, right? I I guess so. That was a leap. I remember the, yeah. we're heading into the yeah. end of 2022 and we're filming some videos, like hey, let's film this video. This is the pre-release, like pre-order the book mm-hmm. video. And then we're like, hey, you know what? Just for shits and giggles, let's just say you're Amazon's bestseller. Like right after it comes out, like what, why don't we? Why don't we just record that video now so we have it? Wouldn't it be funny if we had it? We could put it out the same day, and we did it, and then it actually happened. So I was like, yeah, this it manifested.
0: It manifested as my daughter yeah. says, yes. <laughs> yeah. Is she? How old is your daughter? I have three. Oh wow. Yeah, uh, 21, 19, and
1: sixteen. Yeah, they seem like they're in the use the manifest destiny (laughs) phrasing (laughs) of of life but isn't it isn't it kind of funny that they're kind of pulling from the experience they're getting from dad and from you know your your upbringing of them and then their exposure to like the things that 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 interest them in life they're pulling together that there is sort of something to this like you got to believe that you can do it and really believe it like not bullshit self-belief not not like not fake it till you make it kind of scenario but like you have to actually Feel the investment that you have in yourself and your growth and your career and your art or whatever to get to where you want to go. And so to the degree that that requires you to, you know, manifest destiny. Uh yeah, that's what you did.
0: I feel like we we did a little bit of manifesting. Well, thank you, Johnny. We manifested the Amazon bestseller. And <laughs> yeah, we nailed and boom, it just happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's all we had to do is manifest no. it. And
1: there wasn't even that much yeah. work
0: that went into it behind that.
1: Yeah, but you were, you were, that was kind of a timid place. It felt like you were in a place where you're like, you were on high. You were like, you were batting on all cylinders because you were, you were excited, but obviously nervous. And yeah. there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's your first book. So it's like, how's this going to do? Like what, what, all right, what's this new foray I'm about to jump down <laughs> into. And uh, I mean, it was a fun experience to watch because like, it almost kind of inspired me to maybe write a book someday.
0: I see one on a future shelf right um, in this studio.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and your local Goodwill for 35 cents. Uh, but, I, yeah. I, I just remember being like, it felt it was, a, it was electric in here for a few weeks. Cause it was like, everybody was like, it's getting ready. It's going to, it's getting ready to happen. We're getting ready to do it. Chris was like frantically like sifting through things, changing this logo, shifting this and doing all these things. And, uh, and in that madhouse, it's like, I feel like that's what's going on in my brain whenever I'm creating music or whenever I'm coming up with an idea for a podcast or whenever I'm, you know, shooting video or conceptualizing, uh, a short film I want to do or, or something like that. I, you're, your book has been going really, really well. Have you had people reach out to you since it dropped, like, that you knew personally that have read it, that you were like, hey, this this thing is actually fire. Like, how <laughs> did you, where did this come from? This is like, this has been inside you the whole time?
0: It's been um, humbling to receive as much feedback as I have, especially from the people who really shaped me in writing it in the first place, good and bad right um yeah <laughs> oh. it, i think the reason i wrote it and what has been so helpful in the feedback is oh, after 30 years of just beating the streets and being a sales guy i began to discover that i was making the same mistakes over and over again and i saw other people making the same mistakes that i had when i was starting and i'm thinking i could be selling Yellow pages or technology or software or contractor services. It, pick what whatever it is yeah, that what you're having you haven't sold matter. at this point. <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't matter. There are so many common threads that separate the elite 3% from the lagging 97% of performers. And I had to get it out of my head.
1: Yeah. You said a stat that I, it screamed at me at the seminar and I can't remember, like, it was like, what percentage of your X percentage of your sales is coming from only like, like, it's like over 50% of your sales is coming from like only 10% of your workforce or something like that. Oh yeah. And I couldn't, I can't remember what that exact stat was, Mm -hmm. but I remember being like thinking that a small group of people, like if, if one in like, 10 are the people that are really selling 50% of your company, then it's like, what are these other nine doing? Could they be doing better? Is there something that they could be learning from if they weren't compartmentalized or like, so I, you, yeah. the the book is heart of the wolf, the upside down secret to manifesting destiny.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Close enough. Yes. To
1: becoming a kick-ass salesman and, or to being a kick-ass salesman. Is it becoming or being? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's both. Yes. Uh, how does that relate then to the, the sales community, like what is the, what would you say the upside down secret is?
0: In as few words as possible, it's not about you. The upside down secret is that the most successful salespeople that I've ever known. And when I think back to the moments when I've been able to ring that bell. It's because I wasn't focused on my own success or my own company. I was all in on helping that customer drive the most success that they could and asking myself day in, day out, how can I enable their success? Now, to be clear, not in a Mother Teresa way, not in a, I'm gonna just give you all my money and work for free kind of way. In a way that says, if Johnny, if you're my customer, I am all in on driving success for you. And I know that there's value in doing that. So if I can help you become a platinum selling artist, guess what? We're both gonna win. Yeah but I, when I was convinced that I could help Johnny become a platinum selling artist better than anybody else could, and that I had a track to get there that I knew if Johnny and I combined forces, we're gonna win, then I was gonna get that sale. Yeah. Every time. And so, and same goes for the other people I know that have long-term sustained success and fulfillment in their selling career.
1: And so you're saying like in a way where like, even if they're already kind of successful, like you still think you can like help them grow? Like that last sentence, repeat that last sentence for me.
0: The people I know who have success, I'd say in an outward way, where are they on the sales rankings, right? right? right. Are you number one in your company? Right. But it's not just that kind of success, it's true fulfillment in what you're doing. And what I mean by that is I do know some sales professionals who are atop the leaderboard and they're miserable Yeah, because they've gotten there, but often at the expense of their customers as opposed to through the success of their customers. And if there's a a mistake that I see leaders make in business all the time, it's when they put their head on their pillow at night or when they really start to think about their business, the question they ask is, how can I be more successful? How can my company be more successful? Instead of asking ourselves as leaders, how can I make my customers more successful? How can I make them more money? How can I help my customers reach their goals? That's the, that's the switch.
1: Yeah, it's one aspect is you're trying to draw out of your customers because they're a source of revenue that generate for you. And that's like, that's, you know, monetarily maybe what makes you successful meets a benchmark. But what you're describing is more, look, they already have needs. Odds are, if you're selling something they need to buy, you can, that, that's a, that should be an easy sell. But what you're trying to do is trying to help them succeed through what you're selling them and how you're getting them the access to the resources that they need or whatever it is, you know whether it's you know um, an actual product or, or something else. That's a very interesting approach because it, it literally almost sort of begs the humanity aspect of sales, right? Because you're like, if, if you're focusing on how, what I can generate what I can ingest and what I can get in, it's really hard to think about what the customer actually needs or wants. And if you looked at that from that angle, you actually might be able to see there's, there's an audit that could be made to what I'm doing here that could actually be a better approach. It's better for them. Maybe less stress on me, more fulfilling. Like you're saying, like you want to, you basically want to walk out of the, the day and be like, man, I did it. I, I, I solved so many people's problems today yeah. and I made bank while doing it. Like yep. I didn't do it for free. Like you said, yep. you're not, I'm not, a, I'm not a saint, but I am doing it in a way that's fulfilling. And to do that, you almost have, you had mentioned at the seminar, actually, this is sort of speak to one note that I really remember. You were saying like, if you talk to somebody and you ask them like, I don't know if you asked them who they were reading or something like that, but if you like, hey, I, bought, I saw this book the other day and it made me think of you. And so I got it for you because I, I think you might enjoy it. Uh, I'm not sure if you're a big reader, but I just saw it and it made me think of you and you just give it to them, regardless whether or not they throw it out or keep it. The very act that you showed them that you actually cared about what they're going through or doing or experiencing is is huge to them in terms of connection mm-hmm. between them and you. And I think that's going to be a better take it to a a more fulfilling sale than the latter of just being like, I got these things, you need these things, why don't we just do the exchange?
0: A, A great sales mentor whom I don't know personally, but I've followed him for years. His name is Jeffrey Gittimer. And Jeffrey Gittimer encourages salespeople to, as he says, lead with value. Yeah that first time that we reach out to a customer, instead of calling up and saying, hi, Mr. Customer or Mrs. Customer, can I come in and tell you about my really cool company? Ugh, that's gross. <laughs> to instead <laughs> reach out and say, listen, I've done a little research on you and people in roles like yours. And what I've heard is that it seems everybody is struggling with this problem, yeah. whatever it is. And I read this book that I thought might help you solve that problem, so here here's a book that's va- that's leading with value and that's one of a thousand examples but when we can lead with value and put ourselves in the customer's shoes and really think about what their challenges are and how can we help them it opens up so many doors that otherwise are just slammed shut <laughs> before yeah. we even knock on them
1: so we're kind of experiencing that in the music community right now where you know if you're an artist you're trying to sell yourself you're like you know listen to my band the problem is there's on a, on a strong day, there are like over 60,000 new songs being uploaded a day. Wow. We're talking terabytes of songs every day. And so that's a sea of music, and it's easy to get lost in that. So how do you stand out, right? And so when you're trying to create value and you have an app like TikTok, for example, the artists have started to do these things called hooks, where they get you in the first like two seconds, we're like, hey, if you're going through a breakup, I wrote a song about this and I think you should check it out. And so, and maybe not in those stories, <clears throat> maybe something more poetic than that. Mm-hmm. But uh, the concept is you get them in like, hey, if you're if you're feeling angry and you're about to go to the gym, this is a song you want to jam. And you play some high energy rock and roll right behind it. That's like something that people are like, yeah, yeah, I do. And it, and then TikTok, it kind of feeds that to people that are interested in looking for those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And so by having this hook at the beginning and then your song right behind it, if your song is good, that's How you get traction, you've done the value up front. You've given that's that's that version of an exchange of that leading with value is like, hey, if you're going through something right now, just know that we've been through it too. We wrote a song about it, why don't you check this out and then go into the song? So that is sort of like the lead. It's not the same as obviously giving a you know, somebody as, as sentimental as a book or anything like that, but it's like the thing that you can do as an artist to sort of show the value or explain the value that you're trying to provide to the people that you want to be your customers, but you're really just, you know, you want to be your audience and your fans. Mm -hmm. And so I I am sort of seeing that lead with value proposition taking place because a lot of artists are like, try to be stoic and very like mysterious. And it's it's a trope at this point. And so (laughs) it's it's one of those things where it's like, when you're trying to sell yourself as an artist, that's really, really difficult to figure out which of these avenues that you might be discussing might apply to the artist, you know, scenario. And I can see that idea of leading with value taking place in that TikTok space in that, in that regard. That's like one example that I can think of right now off the top of my head, but I, that's, it's interesting to to put it that way, because I feel like artists are really disconnected from realizing that that the service they're providing is they're, they're putting your art out in the world. The service they're providing is if you play it right, the music you put out there connects people like a web and you create a network of people. Re- ultimately when you play a show, your best show is going to be a show where the majority of the people there are there to see you and are singing every word because you wrote something that touched something in them. Mm-hmm. Music is kind of different, right? It's a, it's more ethereal almost when in the way we kind of approach uh, digesting and absorbing and, and paying for it. But it is still sort of like a, it's it almost treated like a commodity all the same because it is. You know, it's like music streaming is a, platforms are a thing, so. I, it's funny to see the parallels between the sale you know your sales world and, and mine because that's what we're doing. We're ultimately just trying to sell ourselves if we want to be successful we need to do that yeah and so what role do you think then collaboration really has in in this world for you then because with sales you you do kind of you're going out on this company and they're auditing your sales approach are are you auditing theirs mm mm-hmm what do you do after you, so, okay. So take me back to the story. This guy has been doing (laughs) it for 10 years. and You're out there watching his, you know, his, his, you're watching his show and you're like, okay, all right. So I digested some things. What were some things that you noticed that you were like, Hey, uh, we got to tweak some things. (laughs) You you might want to tweak some things. Mm -hmm. Not like this, what you're doing is not working. Clearly it is, you've got a track record, but I see a lot of room for improvement. How do you show somebody like that? The, the lead with value proposition to kind of help them adjust.
0: I heard something really interesting recently, Johnny, about millennials. (laughs) Now, different generation, right? Not mine, uh, but that the millennial generation, a lot of these folks have grown up always earning the participation trophy in life, right? You're the best, you're great, you're gonna be fine, aren't you special, aren't you wonderful? And what I heard is that in today's world, that millennial generation that grew up under that uh, premise, they're not looking for praise. They're looking for feedback.
1: Yeah, you know why? Because they didn't get any. Exactly. You're totally right. I did not look at it like that, but that is absolutely the obvious correlation, right? Like you didn't get feedback because you were never told you
0: suck. You need to maybe fix this a little bit. There's some tweaks and adjustments you should make. And the challenge is, and I'll just speak to the sales ecosystem for now, but the challenge in, and it may even apply to music, is that so many salespeople that are from that millennial generation now, they've never gotten real, I'd say positively woven, but constructive feedback. Yeah. And so you know where they get it the hardest place of all, which is on the street when you first go out and try to sell (laughs) something. The school of hard knocks. Yeah, They're getting their teeth kicked in. Yeah. And they're crumbling, as we all do. I mean, if we have any sort of empathy or pride, it's very hard to hear no, or a strong and aggressive, no, get out of my face, I'm not interested, leave me alone, don't ever call me again, right? Those things are very hard even more so when we're not accustomed to ever having heard them before or being challenged in that way. So taking you back to the story, when I was out with this millennial who had been selling for 10 years and doing a reasonable job, I found what I considered to be some very fundamental and basic areas where he could improve his approach and not in 10 years had anyone ever offered them to him. Yeah. Now, In the business world, what often happens is you'll have a sales manager that does what we call ride-alongs. So your boss will get in the car with you and go on some appointments with you and give you some feedback. And that's wonderful. It's better than nothing. Right. But often the person who's guiding you is a person who's been in the same business as you, working at the same company as you for a very long time. So their perspective on what works and what doesn't is very myopic. Yeah, certainly. Right? It's just, well, this is what we... In fact, it, sometimes they end up teaching you bad habits because right, they're the habits right, right, that right. they've had. That's the
1: first thing that that's the same thing with music. They're like, if you don't learn, if you learn from your friend instead <laughs> of going and seeing somebody who knows how to teach you the rudiments of something, you're going to reinforce a bunch of bad habits that are going to take you right time to unlearn. You're going to have to right. you're going to have to learn how to do things the right way. So I mean, yeah, that principle still applies.
0: It cross applies. So I think back to number one, the company that has been meeting this salesperson's payroll for the last decade, how much have they paid and how much have they invested in a salesperson that on a scale of one to 10 was probably executing at a six? How much more success could the company have earned if he had been executing at a nine? Yeah. And then from the customer perspective, how many customers said no, that should have said yes, and could have gotten so much more value? And moved their business ahead. If only they would better understood the value that this man and his company represented in the first place. Yeah. Like it, there are so many missed opportunities that just drive me bananas. Yeah. I believe it. I'm seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. But that's, and that's the rub.
1: Well, there's a skills gap, right? Like you've got this generation of like upper tiersmen. The the other problem is yes. you, you've got this upper echelon of salespeople that have been in the industry for 30, 40 years that are going to retire, yep. and those positions were not always very um, – audit savvy and that, you know, you weren't able to really kind of get in there or have them really top down, them explaining their style. But like you said, if they've been at the same company for 30 or 40 years, they've got a really myopic perspective on what's going to work for their company and and not something that's going to be progressive enough to kind of keep up with the way that people are digesting things and the way yeah. that sales is changing. So, uh, and I'm seeing that a lot in these industry videos that I've been doing for KCF is that, you know, you've got some guy who's been a millwright at the facility for like 40 years, he leaves, and it's like, after he's gone, there's no, who's filling that scale. Now like what? now you've got this younger yes. generation coming in and you're like, how do we, how do we get them in integrated in a way where they know what they're doing and, and also can adapt and learn. And uh, speaking from the millennial generation, I, I did not get the petition, particip- the participation trophy uh, phenomenon. I, re- I don't know how I escaped it, but I remember <laughs> in third grade, we did a field day and everybody was out and everybody wanted to get ribbons. And there was only first, second and third. All right. <laughs> busted my ass to get third. And I was just happy to get there. But I was like, you know what? Like I felt bad. You'd see kids crying at the end of the day because they didn't get one. And so I, that was a visceral, like probably I'm unlocking some core childhood trauma right now. <laughs> but in that experience, I, I remember there was another field day where I didn't get one. And I was, I was the, the heartbroken one. And that was good for me because I was like, well, you know, like he is really fat. Ben is really fast. Like, you know, I can't, he's got these lines cut in the side of his head and I think that gives him aerodynamics and speed. So, uh, but yeah, so I I don't know. I just feel like it's interesting to think that people don't see that from inside the company, right? Like you would, you would imagine, well, I guess they are right. If the the new awakening of salespeople in the, you know, the art of sales world is starting to, you know, coalesce and open up and, and get a little bit enlightened, they're going to see like, Hey, some people have tips, tricks, nuances, a a different philosophy, just something that is gonna be able to help us shift something. I guess if you look at your reports long enough, you're like, we're being stagnant. Like what's the value of Ben Lawrence coming in and talking to their company if he can get that six to a nine and he's been at a six for like 10 years? Mm -hmm. Well, your value of getting him up to a nine has now increased his value, but what's that make you worth because you just basically overnight are able to kind of implement some new practices that'll help him get there. Mm do you feel that you get a lot of pushback from people that are like, is it hard whenever I would imagine that it's hard for somebody who's been doing something for 10 years to be told, Hey, I'm here. <laughs> like, did he hire you to come in and audit him? Cause he was looking for like personal self-reflection and please help elevate me. Or is it like, no, his company was like, right. Yeah. So in the context where the, you know, the CEO or the COO is like, Hey, we got this guy coming in. We're just going to, we're just gonna do a little revamping around here. You know, no, nobody's losing their job. We just want, we just want to see what we can uh, do to collaborate and get some things elevated yeah. here. Do you get received well from the sales manager perspective whenever you're like, all right, well, here's some things that I noticed?
0: (laughs) Well, there are two pieces to your question. Yeah. Right. And it's really how do we how do we engage an organization in a coaching program that's really going to elevate their salespeople? The first mistake that I see a lot of companies make is that when they think about sharpening the skills of their sales team or elevating the team's performance. The first thing they want to do is they want to take a guy like me who is a professional coach in that arena and they want to stick me with the losers. <laughs> and I I, I don't do mean to offend in that anybody, but or? <laughs> it, it, and I say this with respect. It, it, and this is a message to sales leaders. Forget the losers. And I say that because if you have someone who on a scale of one to ten is a three, and if If I can if I or anybody else comes in and performs an absolute miracle and we double their abilities, double they've gone from a three to a six, whoop-de-Doo yeah it, that's nothing, but give me someone who is already, or maybe just naturally, give me someone who's already a nine. And we can take that person that's a nine and we can sharpen them to a 9.5 or a 9.7, you know, from music, what's the difference between someone who's a nine and someone who's a 9.9? Yeah.
1: I mean, it is observable. It's that time. It's. The devil's uh, in the details. You'll notice a cleaner, who, cleaner guitar player. Who's I'm like, hey, sure. Who's sound
0: clean. I, I went to, I live in State College, Pennsylvania. I went to a concert a couple of years ago. It was called the Rock the 80s concert. And there was a guy playing electric guitar at that Rock the 80s concert, local guy. He was out of his mind amazing. He was so good. I couldn't believe it. I'm sure he was an, at least a nine on that nine to 10 scale. Right. Eddie Van Halen was a 9.9. <laughs> right. So let's look at Eddie Van Halen's sales right. and his revenue stream versus the guy in state college who's a 9. And that's what I'm saying is in the world of sales, it's all about taking the people who have a natural inclination and turning them from minor league baseball players into true major league superstars.
1: Uh, yeah, I think we missed an easy reference here of turning the knob from ten to eleven. If we, if you turn it all out to eleven, I think actually, <laughs> I, I would argue that, that there can't be necessarily a linear thought process in doing that. In that maybe the the workload that a sales group of people might have. The person who's operating at the 3, I don't know what that actually looks like functionally. I would have to see this audit sheet laid out so that you got a, <laughs> l- a bunch of checks and lists so you could kind of like actually kind of dial people into a box. Because you kind of almost have to to be able to see whether or not the things that the 3 needs to learn to get him to a 9 is really – is it that much more or is it – it just – that would depend on industry, I guess, and, and product and a bunch of different mm. things.
0: But I, I, I see what really. you're saying. I, I guess, it, yeah, if you're fundamentally Depends on attitude. Yeah, 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 true. Who's the person that is always on time, eager to learn, asks good questions, cares about the company, cares about their customers, that's a nine.
1: Yeah, that's somebody versus the guy who's like, oh, we're at this meeting again. And they mm-hmm. got this guy coming in today. He's like, mm-hmm. he's already complaining about the situation that's taken place before <laughs> he's even gotten in and met you. Like, you're just some ethereal creature that's going <laughs> to pop in and just ruin his day. And you pop in. It's probably twice as grating to them that you show up and you're like all smiles <laughs> and like energetic. They're like, oh, great. Now this happy son of a bitch is here. But. You're right. Yeah. I I guess to that degree, I do, I can see that. Yeah. If you've got a three to get them to a six, the, the, the barrier to entry there is going to be so much steeper and more difficult than it is to get the person, like you said, who's already naturally inclined and interested in doing this thing.
0: The person who's a three can be a nine somewhere. They're just not on the right bus.
1: Yeah, and I feel like that's also a byproduct. Of some people do a job that they can get and not the job that they want to do. Not a lot of people pursuing their passions. Not a lot of people writing Amazon bestsellers right now. So uh, that's not true. There probably are a lot of people writing Amazon bestsellers. <laughs> but in in that in, and in that context, there's not really much you're going to be able to do to kind of save them from a you know a spiteful disdain for the career that they they find themselves in that they don't want to do. Right. When did you kind of feel that sales kind of became your calling? Where did that kind of come from? What is it? I'm trying to wonder, like, where does this journey start for you when you first get into it?
0: Wow. How did I get into sales? I think I got into sales like most people, which was with an extreme degree of ignorance. (laughs) I didn't really know what it was, uh, but it, it just seemed like something where I liked people and I enjoyed engaging and meeting new people in sales someone along the line said ben you might want to look into sales so I looked into sales and what I've learned I think what keeps me in the game is knowing and seeing how directly you can impact your customers success like if you when when you work with a company that you know can help its customers to be on the front line of guiding what's often a reluctant prospect right. through a journey that leaves them in a better place than they were. And they're grateful for the effort and sacrifice that you made, even the, their objections that you had to overcome <laughs> in order to get them on the bus in the first place. Right. There's an extreme amount of satisfaction
1: that yeah, comes from right. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David and Goliath, right? You're like, no, no, no. You're you're gonna see. You'll understand.
0: <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. Uh, but sales is a is a, it's a career path where you can really be on the front lines of inspiring others to take action yeah. in ways that they might not think they're capable of doing. Yeah. It's it's evangelism in a lot of Ways. It
1: really is. Yeah. Cause you're speaking to the parts of them that are almost resting, right. And not really having the faith. Yeah. And so, it, you know, to put it in, into those terms, I, I guess I feel like salespeople have this bad rap, right? I think you, you think of a salesperson, you think of a car salesman or mm-hmm. somebody who's going to be like kind of just greasy and slimy. Mm-hmm. You're like, look, okay, I got to get a car. And so clearly you're going to try to, this is a whole different shenanigan that I'm dealing with. But it, from your perspective, what I notice is like you're, you have approached it from this, like, like I said, like a very humanitarian approach, the, you know, the objective for you is I can really help these people. I'm going to get paid for doing it, but I'm going to be able to really kind of like help these people. They're going to overcome obstacles that they don't see that they're dealing with. I imagine now that you're in this like consulting phase of your life, you're you're really kind of able to really absorb it more internally because it's, it's you doing it, mm-hmm. not like you working for another company, doing it for them and helping their their customers. It's like a who else can I help? Because you you've got this ability to sort of get in and sort of reverse engineer where maybe problems are stemming from or like you're you can look at probably a list of papers and be like, oh, well, it seems like regardless of what the trends and stuff are, it's like, well, let's see what's happening in the field. Like what's happening down here that's actually like tangibly pushing or hurting your sales. Yeah. And then you can get in there and audit it like you, it's like a puzzle almost. I feel like you're enjoying like taking it apart, or maybe like putting one together for them and showing them like what they're missing in their puzzle that would help them complete a picture that would you know, ultimately elevate their company, elevate their sales, you know, workforce. And I guess it from my perspective, I always look like when I hear salesmen, I think of like door-to-door guys or or something like that. But in this capacity, it's not that at all. It's a very it's like a, you're kind of offering like a homeopathic approach to to like <laughs> analyzing what it is somebody's sales force is doing that they could be fixing and doing more of. And that's got to be a really interesting landscape. And like you said, probably, you know, you, you, you feel super fulfilled at the end of it because you've actually helped them. Did this company that you went and did this, uh, the guy that you followed that was doing it for 10 years, how did he, what were the the notes you gave him? Did you like, were you able to turn him around? Was he, <laughs> is he now successfully a nine or
0: <laughs> time will tell, right? Uh, but no, I am sure that he's going to apply some of what we covered. And back to your question, because what I hear you just saying, Johnny, if I heard you correctly, is the question of why do salespeople have such a bad reputation and how do we change that? What are the best doing?
1: Well, I think podcasting certainly helped, right? Media representation is certainly going to be a part of that. And for a while, the the door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman and the car salesman, those are trope characters that you see in media constantly. So there is sort of a preconceived notion that's built in that way, but with the advent of podcasts and uh, audio books and, and things like that, it gives you the opportunity to kind of hear it straight from the horse's mouth. Yeah. And I think that that's a, a big shift in the perspective. If you are somebody, everybody is realizing whether or not they want to be, if they're selling or they're in business in any capacity, they are. they need to also be a media company. They need to also be working on sales? Like, how are you getting people to be involved with your company? I mean, whatever that capacity is, you're in those avenues, whether you want to be or not. So it's you're either executing or you're not mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And yeah. so your company growth is ultimately on your ability to see that the actual tasks that you have before you to take care of to grow and be in a successful company. And so I, I think for me, hearing you speak, I hear you on the phone downstairs all the time. Yeah. You know, you'll just be like... <laughs> You're, I can't describe. I'm gonna have to like set up a secret camera sometime whenever you're down there <laughs> doing one, just just to show people. But like you were, you're very energetic. And, and in the seminar sense, we were doing like uh, workshops, right? Yeah, everybody was splitting into groups, and they were kind of uh, what. Were, can you go through some of what those examples were? What, what some of those workshops that we did in that seminar mm-hmm. at the Hyatt were? Because I remember a lot of people being like, "Who do you think you're?" When you're t- one of the things I, I said to Ethan, I was like, "You you keep trying to go after the guy who's working at this like." garage for people to be able to fix their cars, uh, with your ATM business, so they can swipe their card. But like, what is the, what do you really, you're you're not going to the right guy. That may not be the right business, but also like, he may not be the right person. And so you said, you're not trying to like get a hold of the wrong person to do it. You got to snipe the person that is actually going to be making the decision. You're trying to sell to somebody yes. who doesn't have the authority to actually like, or not necessarily the authority, but like the ability to say that this is the, you know, this is the sale that's going to get made. So like, those work, some of those workshops were really interesting because people were, you could see, I mean, I, I'm filming it. So I'm watching people's eyes and their faces in the <laughs> screens as they're doing it. And you can just see some people being like, I feel like an idiot. I didn't see this. Like, what were some, can you go through like, maybe like one or two of those ones that we did?
0: Sure. Well, one of the biggest mistakes that we make in sales is that we end up selling into and calling on people who have the authority to say no but not the authority to say what. Yes. Exactly. They don't have the authority to say yes. So your friend that is trying to sell ATM machines into gas stations, right. as an example. Nail salons. Nail salons. <laughs> I Often what he may walk in and ask to speak with the manager. Right. Or the department lead or whoever he's trying to, t- or the person who runs the... F- cash registers he's looking for someone to talk to my guess is your friend may be calling on someone who has the authority to say no not the authority to say yes your friend probably should be asking for the owner and and accept no one less well to lend credence to this story i he sold to
1: one of the bars downtown and he was like i went to the owner Cause I actually, one of the things that uh, I to, I actually told this, this specific one is <laughs> the one that I had told to him, I was like, just watch the video. I was like, you'll, you, trust me, you'll take stuff out of it. And th- I gave him that one and he came, he, he's uh it's funny cause we don't, we're both always moving and we're, so we're never home together. Like we, right. he, he's my boy, but we're never together in the same place except for maybe sometimes at night. And uh, he was like, Hey, so uh, I took that advice that you said, and I uh, went to the owner of that bar and I asked him. If they could sit down and have a talk with him about, you know, what I could do for them for their ATM and in in their business. And he made the sale. So like last weekend
0: his, his
1: dad came over and uh brought like his truck to help him load the ATM that they were taking <laughs> down to that place and setting up. And I was like, that's awesome. So whether you know it or not, you're you're <laughs> it's funny to think your reach impacting me now has impacted like a third-party person. He's you know, one degree of separation, you know, away from you and still. Taking to heart lessons that you you're out there teaching. So and it wasn't one I would have learned if I hadn't filmed that yeah. seminar. So I'm really grateful that I did.
0: But we'll have you film all of them, Johnny. Moving I've, forward, you've got to be the guy.
1: Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I want to get a little small team of people together to do it. Yeah, I, I really do have a good time. Uh, just sort of watching you work. It's it's kind of like it is watching an art. You're you're a maestro. Like you're you're not like running through gimmicks or like a scripted card. You you're really kind of assessing what each person's doing, and and seeing how you can offer. The value that they need to them. That's not an easy ask in a lot of in a world where a lot of people don't want to make changes.
0: Mm. So well, there's good news for all of us. The world is full of problems. Yeah. I've yet to find anyone who does not have problems. So if we can just fashion ourselves as someone who is as interested, maybe even more interested in solving those problems than the person who has them the world is our oyster.
1: Yeah. It's hard when you don't look at it like that because you're not gonna, you won't take the approach. And the approach has to be almost that mindset
0: because it opens the doors. Yeah. Thinking about this, you referenced walking onto a car lot and the bad reputation of car salespeople. It can even be the same thing with bicycles. Can I tell you a little story yeah, about? It. It? So, just this past weekend, I think uh, I really like to ride bikes, right? So I'm into bi- bicycling and all that. Anyway, this past weekend, I walked into a bike shop. I was looking to see if we were still charging your headlamp over here. Oh yeah, right. Uh, I walked into a bike shop, and I saw a bike that looked really pretty, and it was in my size. So I walked over, and I was just kind of ogling at this bike, and the shop. One of the guys in the shop walked over and he said, Oh, you like that bike? I said, Boy, I I think I do like that bike. So he pulls it off the shelf, puts it right in front of me. Now it's like we're gazing at this wonderful piece of art. And he immediately goes into a pitch about the bike. This bike was designed by the greatest engineers in California and it has these shock systems on it. And the shifting is the most, it's the latest technology in shifting. And this thing uh, absorbs 80% more shock than the previous version. Blah, 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 blah. Right, right, right. Right on the facts. To his credit, he's excited about the bike. Right. The mistake was he was not excited about me. <laughs> Meaning he didn't ask me one question, well, what what kind of riding do you like to do? Or what kind of bike do you have now? Or what prompted your interest in this bike? Why might you be in the market for one? He made zero effort to ask me what prompted my interest or what I was looking for in the first place and made the mistake that so many of us in sales make, which is we just jump right into the product demo. And the jargon. And the jargon, and he lost me.
1: Yeah. And it's a shame because he pulled it down and the next step could have been, you, did you like touch the bike? Because they say that in, in sales, if you can get them, the, <laughs> Apple has all of their laptops set at like 90 degrees so that whenever you go to like look at them, you have to touch it and like rock it back and feel that solid craftsmanship yeah. so that you're more inclined to buy it. They know that if you touch it, you're more inclined to purchase it. So I feel like just getting the bike down, he, was, uh, he could have been halfway there, but he, he ruined it with the
0: the spiel he could have been the 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 trick if it is a trick but really the 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 best practice is to get that customer talking about why they're there in the first place right. or what their problems are or why might they even consider something like this yeah and to understand what prompted their interest why did i walk into that shop in the first place right and build from there.
1: Is it funny to you to notice that you can probably not be in almost any sales position and not be critiquing and auditing the experience that you're getting from the you know the customer side of things? You do so much to help the the top down approach, but to be like the at the consumer yeah. end of things, I, I liken that to like when I go to a show or when I go yes. and I see a movie or I'm you know somebody showing me their photographs. The first thing I'm doing is like, all right, this is the lighting. All right, this is probably what the lens was. (laughs) Right, like you just go into assessment and analyze mode, and you're like, I can't. I almost don't know if I can enjoy movies anymore without being like, oh, that was a sloppy cut.
0: Yep, yep, totally. I I'm in the same boat. Yeah. So (laughs) when we're on the receiving end, it's so hard to turn off the coaching or the critiquing, and just enjoy the experience.
1: Um. So I wanted to follow up on the book. Did you?
0: end up doing the audiobook version of the Heart of the it, Wolf. It is recorded and in production now. Okay, all right, it's releasing I- very shortly. And the reason it's not out yet, it's all my fault. Because the publisher asked me to read the book, which I did. And then they sent me all the audio files and they want me to listen at least once through it just to make sure I'm comfortable and did they miss anything. And the listening to my own voice. I don't know how you do it as a musician.
1: I li- that podcast <laughs> I had with a panel of artists, they, they were literally telling me how I need to do that. And I was like, I do so many things. like right. the last thing I want to <laughs> do is sit there and listen to my voice over and over again. I, like, I found somebody I trust to go through listening to my voice and do yes. it and have them do it. Is that is that the approach you're taking?
0: It, it can be challenging, uh, but important. Yeah. And even in sales, there are times that I will just secret, secretly record the conversation or if I go back and watch the, the workshops that I deliver that you film, it's very hard to do. It's hard to watch yourself. Right. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, to answer your question, the book it's been recorded. The audiobook is coming out very soon. As soon as I can grit my teeth and finish listening to it myself, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it'll come out soon.
1: Um, But you, so you did all the recording then? Yes. Where did you do it at? Right here. That's what I thought. I remember that that there was a recorder that was sitting on this table for a while. I was like, has he, but I I come in in the evenings usually. So by then you're either gone. Oh, right. And so I was like, is he doing this still? Is this still happening or whatever? And Chris was like, uh, oh, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, He's like, he's doing it. He's like, just, he's just chopping through it one at (laughs) a time. Like he keeps going. Uh, How did you find the experience of recording it to be? Did you enjoy the reading aspect of it and walking through it again after you've kind of gone through the, you know, creative writing, compositional phase of writing the book. Was it nice to go back and actually read it and see how it kind of feels going from text to How your it own flows. Words? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it,
0: yes. Um, I really enjoyed it. And even reading through it to myself again, I was reminded of how, after 30 years, how freakishly obvious the mistakes are that most salespeople make. And how incompetent we continue to be. Yeah, we like, we love that ignorance for some reason. <laughs> it's very hard to break old habits. And it's also very hard to form the right ones when we first begin.
1: Yeah, well, like you said, if you, if everybody's getting participation trophies and not getting uh, the ability to kind of be self-auditing and learning every step yeah. of the way, is it's really difficult. And if you don't have a good mentor or somebody to kind of walk you through your, you know, your learning experience. Yeah. I mean that that's where you could see the value of things like internships and things like that, where you know, somebody can be put in a position where they're maybe a little bit in the deep end, but what they're gonna gain from being able to play catch up. But case in point, uh, you know, Carlos, my intern, he's running the live switcher right now. Uh, he's got tons of questions. And I've found that in my current incarnation of this leadership position, I enjoy being able to like help him avoid the pitfalls that yes. I've gone through. Like, oh, should we try this or should we do this? I'm like, ah, I wouldn't do that. And here's why. Here's my example, but my approach is always, but I'm not telling you not to try it because there's no one way to, you know, write a song. There's no one way to create a you know, music video. There's no one way to do anything. There's a million different ways to do this. There's a million different ways to sell. Some of them are going to be better for others depending on all those variables that you, you know, we've discussed so far. And if you can be, I guess, sort of like introspective enough to be mindful of how you're threading your needle, you can kind of see what you're able to stitch together in the back end of everything whenever you've kind of, you see the full picture. And so seeing your book come out has got to be kind of like the culmination of like your, your sales career and, and, and history like culminating into one book. Um, have you decided to do like a, do you have a publicist? Uh, yes. Have you been doing it? Have you out doing any like book tours or like doing a yep. circuit, of podcast yep. and doing, stuff?
0: We're doing some of that. Um, although, Speaking openly, the book itself, and I guess the network of folks that have already read it and the degree to which they've endorsed and shared with others, were already to the point that we were barely capable to bring on anyone else. Oh, um, really? For from a client perspective, yeah, we're we're very fortunate. So now we're facing that next phase of growth. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, I mean the the book itself has become the publicist. Yeah. And I feel very fortunate in that regard.
1: I think it's a, a context that really travels well via word of mouth, especially when it's your word of mouth, right? Like you, nobody knows it as well as you do. Yeah. And I think to the degree that I, I saw a bunch of people in a room in a conference center, you know, listening to the seminar that we did in January, it was really easy to see that. I mean, people were coming up to you afterwards and like, mm-hmm. like not, it, it's not to like you know blow smoke, but like they were really grateful. They were like, I can't wait to take this back to my sales team. Like this was super helpful. And to get that many people in one room and have every one of them walk out of there being like, it's not like anybody went in there and and didn't walk out with anything. They all came right. out with something that they're tangibly taking home. And maybe it'll take going to one or two more seminars before they cement other aspects of things that you discussed. But I think I'm, I'm a big believer in being in the presence of other people that are in the creative realm for me, or in your case, the sales realm that are, you know, ahead of the curve with what they do, iron sharpens iron in that regard. And so it's really nice to see that you kind of go out there and like, you're, I mean, it's magnetic the way you, <laughs> I, I want to say you're performing, but you're not, you're literally just like expelling this knowledge to them. And they're like, you can tell it, you said earlier in the very beginning of the podcast, you said they're hungry for it. Like they, they want to adopt better practices and, and grow and succeed. And it's really easy to do that when you've got somebody that can kind of matter of factly break it down
0: like you do. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's I've seen a big shift in sales over the last, I'd say 10 years, where in a lot of organizations, sales has become a data tracking exercise. In today's world, we have uh, Salesforce, like CRMs or customer databases and Sales Loft and Uh, different types of data-driven electronic tracking methods to follow a sales cycle. Yeah. And that's all well and good. I I don't have anything against it. The problem is we have replaced the human-to-human selling experience and the investment and effort that business used to put into sharp, iron, iron sharpens iron, that businesses used to put into growing their people. They're now investing those dollars into growing the data systems that evaluate sales performance. Yeah, And I think it's a mistake. I really do, Johnny. If we're not continuing to develop that frontline millennial or It doesn't matter their age. If we're not continuing to develop the internal skills and beliefs and conviction of the person that's repping on the street, we're nowhere.
1: Yeah, I I can definitely see it. It feels, it's almost like disingenuous to the person that they're selling to also, because they kind of, there's like a disconnect between that sort of value that you're bringing still. It's like, oh, I can direct target somebody who has all these, meets all these criteria online by looking at their analytics and marketing specifically to them. The problem is when you get out there and you turn around and you have maybe like a customer experience that's not positive and they want to reach customer support and they're reaching into the company to kind of complain about something, you have another group of people in the customer service or the sales side of things Mm -hmm. that are meant to kind of handle some of those intake calls that like they don't have the opportunity to explain things before somebody purchases something. Yeah. And so there's there's all kinds of disconnects that happen in there. So it's like the data being data driven is not bad. It just can't be the entire part of the picture. Like you're lo- you're missing half of the picture if you're missing the human element because the human element what's going to ensure that the people that are purchasing, which are also humans by the way, because they are yeah. the only people purchasing things, uh, is you're you're losing that connection that they can have, just to kind of hold it all together. Right. Yeah. Do you feel like we'll get away from that? I feel like there's got to be equilibrium at some point, right? Because sooner or later, we're going to figure this out. Like if you're, this book comes out now and AI is already (laughs) the thing that AI is right now, there just seems to be like this pendulum swing that keeps taking place. And I think it's probably ongoing in life, but there's got to be this period of time of equilibrium where we figure out the human element is like the necessary element to have in there.
0: It's always going to be both. Yeah, we need the data and the analytics, and we need the humans that can perform and engage heart to heart with our wolf hearts, as we describe in the book.
1: So uh, I know we're just you have a call coming up here in about six minutes, Mm -hmm. so we got to get you off of here. But before we end the podcast, I just wanted to say, like, where can people find the book? Like, where where is it located? What can
0: people look forward to? Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, They can find it on Amazon. It's available there, Prime shipping. You'll have it by the weekend easily. Uh so you can get it on Amazon. For anything beyond that, our website is leadthesalespack.com. leadthesalespack.com. And from that website, you can buy the book, you can contact me directly, you can connect with our team and schedule webinars or workshops or coaching sessions or whatever is necessary to help your sales machine reach its next level.
1: At some point, I'm going to have to have you come in here. We're going to sit down and we're going to talk about how I can integrate your brilliant brain into the music industry. Because I feel like if I can just get you to conquer that real quick, (laughs) we can get that platinum record on the wall. Um, Well, Ben, I wanted to thank you for coming on. Uh, The book is called Heart of the Wolf, The Upside-Down Secret to Being a Kick-Ass Salesperson. Um, It's everywhere on Amazon. Thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. I know you're so busy and I almost felt bad asking you to come on. But like you
0: said, you have to ask you have to ask. And it's really an honor. Equally, I am so impressed with the degree of enthusiasm and professionalism <laughs> that you bring. It's You are this unique mix of like rock star musician guy with ar- tats on his arms, right? <laughs> and you can thrive in a business setting and engage with people that may not have those same artistic propensities. So it's a... It's a very special skill set. So I will take you up on that offer (laughs) to earn you that platinum record. All right. Now, what I'm not sure yet is whether we're going to do it with you as the musician or you as the guide to other musicians. Uh,
1: Content with either. I feel like uh, both are totally possible and I'm open to the experience of just going down (laughs) that rabbit hole, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, I appreciate you saying that. I I feel like uh, when I started getting tattoos, I remember the stigma was... Oh, if you have tattoos, you're never going to get a job if you have them below your elbow. And uh, when I did it, I was like, I kind of want to break that stigma. Like I'm a pretty well-spoken person, pretty intelligent, emotionally intelligent, socially intelligent. Like I just want to break that stigma because it's such a small part of who I am. Like the tattoos on my arm, and if anything, it's another version of artistic expression. So I appreciate you acknowledging that and uh, that validation. Didn't didn't know I needed that, but uh, I'm gonna. That's gonna be a real pick me up today. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's easy to see where. I'm, I'm. I am really excited to do these kind of things. I'm excited. I, I was really excited to speak to you today because I just know the energy that you bring to a room when you step into it. So, like I said, thank you so much for coming on. You. You're. We're gonna have to have you on again. I look. I'm looking forward to having more of these in the future, whether we'll uh, the music industry discussion one and in, and uh, in like a couple months. We actually we have a single that's going to be coming out in October that we're doing. I can't really talk about. I'll talk about it off air. Uh,
0: we'll talk about it later.
1: But. Yeah, I could I could definitely use picking your brain on that one, and and I'm looking for something really unconventional. and I have a pretty cool team of people that are some really heavy hitters, so we, I bet we could do some damage with the right um, philosophy and approach for how we handle getting ourselves out there. And I feel like you might you might be an <laughs> integral part to that. You may have been in. I, there's always a reason, right? Like you meet people for yeah, a reason.
0: That's right. Well, thank you, Johnny. Thank you, Carlos. Yep. Thank you, Carlos. And He's my Jimmy in the Thank you to team. everyone who made the time to invest and listen in our conversation today. We appreciate it. Yeah. We're always collaborating at all times with the universe.
1: That is a wrap on another episode of the collaborate podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making this episode for you. And now it's time for our favorite part of the show the part where I beg you to please hit that like button, subscribe, and turn on those notifications so you never miss an episode. And don't be shy. Give us a shout out on social media at Podcast on all the cool platforms to share your thoughts, your feedback, and your love. Until next time, collab or Die, baby.